What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> I wish I wasn't stocked up today. I can hear it. No, I, I couldn't really hear it that much. Everybody is. My ear yesterday, this whole thing from here swelled up like a frog. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to go to the doctor. And then I took a strong decongestant, went to bed, and it went away. I took some Zyrtec earlier today, but it hadn't really helped that much yet. Oh, well. Well, Lee, just me and you today. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk. Me and you both going out of town this yep. weekend. So I tell you, I'm, Florida. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. But no doubt, man. But yeah, but we uh, we need to knock a, another podcast out before me and you go catch some fish. And and luckily, there's quite a few uh, good things happening right now. There you, are. You've got some really good reports. Mm -hmm. um, what, which lakes are those reports coming out of? Well, I've been hearing at Kentucky Lake. Uh, we had a group of coworkers go down there and caught mega hand-sized bluegill, and the smattering of red ear sunfish. I've seen, yeah, mm -hmm. on uh, on Facebook, Fishing, Kentucky Rivers, Lakes, and Streams, or some other group like that, I've seen a lot of people posting huge bluegill hauls. Not just good-sized fish, but a lot of fish, too. Well, May is the best month for bluegill. And the red ear, also. Mm -hmm. yeah, so Especially red ear. I had a bad experience with bluegill the other day, but it was my own fault. I went out, and I caught a ton of them out of this farm pond, right? Took them home and uh, flayed them up and ate them for dinner. And the next day, I was just sick as could be. And I talked to the farmer. They had just sprayed the fields around the pond about two days before. Mm. And then it rained. So I'm assuming I got some bad runoff. Ooh. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about that. I, I feel great now. But, you know, 10 years from now, I might be paying for it. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether it's If an arm starts growing out the yeah. side of your head, you might want to go to the doctor. Yeah. It was far, I would rather eat something out of a... You know, a big lake or a creek or something like that all day than a, a farm pond mm -hmm. that's just recently been sprayed with chemicals. But that's on me. I should probably pay a little more attention next time I go do something like that. But it's hard to beat bluegill when they don't make you sick and eat them. Mm -hmm. And farm ponds really are, are great. All of our small lakes, the state-owned lakes across the state, almost all of them rate at least good on the fishing forecast for bluegill. Oh yeah, you know, and and several of them have good populations of red ear as well. That's a, it's one of those uh, species you can almost go anywhere and expect to be able to catch them. Catch some, but yes. like you said, Kentucky Lake is known for it. People mm -hmm. go down there and Bark just to yes. spend three or four days on the water bluegill fishing and fill up coolers, you know, mm -hmm. thirty gallon coolers of, of fish, bluegill fillets. Yeah, yes. I used to know some families that would take a vacation every year just to go to Kentucky Lake and bluegill fish. Mm -hmm. but, you, you think bluegill fishing, or who goes on vacation to do that? But when you catch them like they do, mm -hmm. and the size, Kentucky yeah. Lake bluegill are just robust. I tell you, it was Cheno Ross's family. You know Cheno? Mm -hmm. Yeah, his family and some buddies were the ones who would go down there and they'd catch like four hundred a day. Cheno knows how to fish too. So. Mm -hmm. That helps. Oh yeah, oh but yeah. On those big lakes, I found in May, if you can, especially on your more flatland, shallower reservoirs like Barkley, like Kentucky, the backs of those expansive coves where there's some tree cover. But you still have maybe four feet of water. Yeah, that's that's the place to target. And you can you can, you know, everybody's seen them, but that's fished any. But just look for those uh, beige colored saucer shaped yeah. indentions, and that's the oh, that's yeah. the beds. I'm not sure what the uh, water looks like down there right now, as far as clarity goes. So you can see those beds. They say on the reports that it's clearing compared yeah. to how it has been. Last year, I went down with uh, Chad and Jim Doom to do a red red ear and bluegill fishing piece. And I think we caught 100, you know, you're kind of picking through the bluegill to try to find those red ear. Mm -hmm. I think we caught 170-something bluegill before we found a red ear. But, I mean, when you can catch a bluegill in those numbers, it's... it's and we were, doing, we were doing exactly what you just said. We were working up into the coves, mm -hmm. and we were finding uh, 
those beds or maybe a little bit of vegetation, like mm-hmm. a vegetation line. And we were just casting right there. And they were using small jigs at first, but I think we ended up tossing some wax worms out there also. And, I mean, just tearing them up. It was like every cast, every cast. We found a hole like that two years ago. Uh, Kevin Kelly, uh, our staff writer, and, and O.B. Williams, our photographer, and I, <clears throat> in the area of uh, Moore's Resort, and there was like a little hump where it came up shallow and then it deepened back out and opened up. And there were all these trees down and some floating vegetation. And we were using little bitty, the Gary Skidmore, he's passed now, but the little bitty um, hair jigs that he had. I think some of them are feathers, some are tinsel. Uh-huh. And we tipped them with those Berkeley Gulp oh, yeah. crickets. Yeah. I mean, as soon as the bobber would settle, yes. it go down. I mean, we caught the we could have caught as many as we wanted to catch that's for crazy. as long as we wanted to catch them in that spot. That's crazy. I think and, the spot we went was up in a, a shipyard. It was like a barge. They were working on ships up there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know Kentucky Lake as well as you, but I, I want to. That might be Anderson Creek. Well, they were working on ships and barges where we were, and then we just went right around the the corner there, and we went under kind of like a trestle. Mm-hmm. There was kind of a bridge going above us. It wasn't a bridge for vehicles, but it was like a. I don't know if it was a railroad bridge or some kind of conveyor system. And we fished up in that cove a little bit, too. And that's where we got most of our fish was, was in those areas. But I'm not sure how to describe it. I wish I knew Kentucky Lake a little bit better, but I don't. I just kayak, so it's hard for me to get around that huge body of water. <laughs> You're not crossing Kentucky Lake on a kayak, that's for sure. Well, luckily, it's shallow enough where, I, yeah. it, you know, as far as that goes, the Kentucky Lake is, what's the depth, average depth on Kentucky Lake? Well, Barkley's even shallower, but, you know, it depends on where you're at, but you're often pretty far off the bank and only in eight feet yeah, of water. which is the exact opposite of Cumberland mm-hmm. or Laurel or mm-hmm. something like even Dale, mm-hmm. uh, one of those eastern Kentucky reservoirs where yeah, things just... Highland reservoirs are deep yeah, and steep. Literally drops off a cliff 10 feet offshore, you're sitting in 80 foot. And, uh, yeah, it's completely different, the western Kentucky versus eastern Kentucky reservoirs like that. But that's probably why the fishing so much different too. Mm-hmm. Big clear streams versus you can catch them in those type of reservoirs if you can. A lot of those like Dale and, and Talking about bluegill, yeah. Um, if you can find those those cuts that aren't real big, a lot of times during the spring, treetops and stuff will wash into those. Yeah. And if you get in the back end of them, you can catch quite a few bluegill off those. I'd say you probably know more about this than me as well. But when I think of the eastern Kentucky reservoirs that get real deep, real quick, a little bit clear water. I'm thinking smallmouth. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking walleye and trout, oh, and you know, largemouth and stuff like that. When I think of the shallower ones in Western Kentucky, mm-hmm. I tend to think of largemouth and, and crappie stuff like that. Yeah, and crappie bluegill. bluegill. Yeah, it's just you know the difference between a flatland, more fertile reservoir, and a highland, infertile reservoir. Yeah, you know, they say, uh, of course, Asian carp's a big issue mm-hmm. down there in the western part of the state. Mm-hmm. They say that uh, Laurel and Cumberland and some of those lakes don't quite have as much to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because of the clarity of the water. Well, and, and they just have to migrate so far to, yeah. to get up in there. The Wolf Creek Dam is a pretty big barrier. It is. Yeah, somebody was talking to me the other day, and they said, it's a big barrier until that one idiot takes a stringer of fish with an Asian carp on it from mm-hmm. the river up to the lake. and Or thinks that, that the bait they're using, or that's why we have a regulation that you can no longer. Yeah. You have to use, where you collect bait, you need to use your bait in the water body from which it was collected. Or a tributary? Uh, yes. But Does that even work? Um, yes, but you want to keep in the same drainage. But um, if so, you go, say if you go down to Kentucky Lake and uh-huh. you're throwing a cast net in the tailwater, you know, you can 
you can use those in that area. But you don't want to take those and then go to Cumberland and smallmouth fish because Asian carp and shad look pretty similar when they're they're young. young. The only reason I ask, and the only time I've really ever done something like that is when I lived in Madison County. I would go to the creeks with a cast net, and I'd catch creek chubs and Mm -hmm. and shiners and stuff like that. And they're great bait. And then I'd go to the river. I believe you'd be fine. Well, I mean, Silver Creek literally flows into the river. It's tributary, so there's nothing that's going to block it. It's unobstructed four miles downstream. But you don't want to take those to Green River. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's, that's the intent of the regulation. Oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. People just need to think about it because... (laughs) Yeah, those dams and those barriers and things like that. Yeah, Asian carp are horrible. I know. Hey, I've seen people on the FLW tournament or the circuit talking about our Asian carp problem recently. I guess they were fishing Kentucky Lake. Yeah, they just had a tournament down there last week, the Derby weekend. And I actually heard more about Asian carp while they were fishing that tournament than I did. Well, some of the largemouths are showing signs of, of emaciation, and you know, and especially in Kentucky Lake. Yeah, I mean, there's still. But some. I saw pictures yesterday of uh, some reports and stuff of fat giant largemouth well i mean i'm sure those fish are going to take a toll on something but the largemouth are definitely still there Mm -hmm. just last summer or late last summer we with the show went down there and fished uh with muhlenberg county high school bass fishing team and at one point chad tripled up all three of the guys on the boat had a fish and it was like four or five and six pounder Mm -hmm. you know what i mean which is a pretty good little pool yeah no doubt crazy crazy but they are of grave concern the asian carp yeah especially kentucky lake it's just the premier fishery in our state in Barkley. Um, just it makes me worried. Well, and yeah, of course they're trying a lot of different things to try to get rid of. They actually got something else going on this this mm-hmm. when it, when is that tournament? The bow fishing tournament. Oh, that's in June. In June, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much a bow fishing tournament is actually going to be able to help. You know what I mean? Because you're you're obviously you're you're only going to get one out of every so many fish when you're bow fishing and those things breed so mm-hmm. prolifically. I don't know if it's just to get more people interested in going to the I lake. I think that's it. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, every little bit helps, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if, if that big tournament draws, you know, you some people to some come attention. down there and do that, then that, yeah. could, that it, could help. It's more of an exponential mm-hmm. effect. It's not like what the, the good that's done that day might not be huge, but it's going to multiply. I covered that first carp madness tournament yeah. when they use nets. Uh-huh. And, you know, I remember for some reason 86,000 pounds sticks in my mind as the winning weight, but I, I could be wrong. But that could be one day it just that just comes out of my mind. Yeah. I've been down um, there and watched them run those nets before, too. And, and, I mean, it's a drop in the bucket, but, yeah. you know, still, it's it's doing something. got to do something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And mainly gonna... it's to encourage others to do that. Yeah. That's and wild. if we could get the profit margin up a little bit on Asian carp, that would help a lot, too. They just don't make a lot of money on them. Yeah. Well, you know, we have an Asian carp video on YouTube, and every day when I come into the office, I approve YouTube comments. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that Asian carp video gets more comments more consistently than any other video we have, and it's all people suggesting uses for the meat. Mm-hmm. Here that are giving us a hard time. Mm-hmm. For uh, or what most people who give us a hard time say that the Asians have figured out the best way to use America. They they come bring us our fish and then make us grow them and then we sell them back to them at their cheap cost like like we're getting used by china or something like that the 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 big event you know they were here earlier but the big event was the 1993 major flood that yeah wrecked uh grand forks i believe minnesota i mean obviously how did they come to the u.s in the first place they were stocked in uh, minnow ponds which is a big business in the delta of of of, uh region of arkansas and um I have a 
close personal friend whose wife's family is in the minnow business. And and if you go to the store and say, I need, you know, three dozen minnows for crappie fishing, there's a good chance those came from Arkansas. Yeah. So they brought these fish in to, because they eat plankton and they eat um, plant material. Right. So they would, they brought them in to keep their minnow ponds clean. And then when flooding happens, the river overruns the ponds and the carp got loose. And here we yeah. are. I believe they started in the 70s. Ron Brooks told me they started in the 70s, but but the, the, the event that really let a lot of them go was the 93 flood. Not much foresight there. Well, I just don't think people thought, you know, you're right. Thought about the damage those fish could do if they, they got did. out and matured. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So do they put them in those uh, ponds to mature, or were they putting them in there to sell them as? Uh, no, they put them in there to keep the ponds clean. Okay. And, and they, they weren't intending to release them or sell them. They, yeah. they they eat the plant material and they keep it cleaner, and as opposed to using some kind of uh, drawing them down and then scraping the muck off or, or a uh, chemical solution. Koi. Yeah. I guess nobody uh, wanted to use koi back then. or. But I think the uh, the Asian carp were, were really good at it. Oh, well, that's why they're so good at breeding and, mm-hmm. and su- surviving in our lakes, too, probably. And and the, the, the Asian carp here are much uh, desired in China because it's, you know, they're pristine. Yeah. Our, our water's clean. So, uh, like you said, obviously it hasn't had too much of an effect on the bluegill and red deer population mm-hmm. down there at Kent Lake yet because... Uh, it's kind of what I call it, Kent Lake. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I guess that's just an abbreviation. From, well, you know, from the I stay at that resort park a lot too. <laughs> yeah, so I've yeah I've stayed at that resort park. It's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to play any golf or anything while I was there, but I was working. Food was good. See, and it's oh, it's yeah. a good part of the lake. Seemed nice, but uh, like I was saying, so obviously hasn't had a huge toll on the bluegill and red deer population. No, I'm assuming you've done more fishing down there for them than I have. Mm-hmm. The only time I've really done it is like I said with Jim Doom and Chad. On that shoot, we might have caught 200 fish that day, but I've only still been The red deer are more of a challenge than you think because you have to find those beds. They and say, it's like finding a football field in, in, in a giant embayment sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, finding the beds. And then, of course, also the bluegill share the same area as the red deer. So you might be right on top of the red deer, but you, the bluegill might be quicker to hit your bait. And red deer tend to hang a little deeper than bluegill. Yeah. They say those two fish are probably the toughest fighting pound-for-pound pound fish. I agree. And the way they're built. They say if a if a bluegill could get to be ten pounds, you'd never catch them. Yeah, I've always heard that. I mean, and one of the things, um, if you really want some fun sport, yeah, from now really all summer, but it yeah. really peaks later in the month, is to get a lighter weight fly rod, maybe three or four weight. Some people use a two weight, um, but you can use up to six weight if you want to. It'd still be fun. And throw those little sponge spiders. I used to do this on Harrington on those old cheap Martin automatic reel fly oh, yeah. rods. And throw a little black sponge spider with white uh, rubbery legs or a small cork popper. Yellow and black's a really good color. Yellow, a chartreuse and black. Uh, all, and you find those at Walmart. The Betts is one of the companies that makes them. Yeah. And that is more fun. And if you can find the shallow beds, cast those sponge spiders or poppers over the top of that and catch big hand-sized bull bluegill with the kind with the hump. Right there above their eye, you know, right above their snout and all, and then looks like they have shoulders. Those are the fun ones. Take them home and eat them. That and that is more sport and fun because they pull on a fly rod. It's like you've got a yeah. whale on there. Yeah, it's, that's true. Oh, it's a, it's one of the funnest things you can do fishing wise. When you use your fly rod, do you reel or do you hand strip? Um, back in the day when I had that automatic one, I kind of did a combination of both. Okay. But now I, um, I, you know, bluegill you can hand strip, but 
Yeah. Most instruction I've received is if a fish has any kind of size to it at all, you want to get it on the reel as quickly as you can. See, I never have. Some people take pride in getting it on the reel as quickly as they can. <clears throat> which is, I mean, yeah, we, you know what? Getting I'm, your slack up and then basically fighting it like you would a spinning rock. Yeah, I'm not sure people who don't fly fish can visualize that, but basically when you're fly fishing, you're, you're stripping line as you're bringing it in. And so, you have a big pile of line at your feet. Yeah, basically laying next to you in the water. If you're mm-hmm. wading, you got a bunch of float line kind of curled up. So when you get a fish on, you got a lot of slack in your line. Between, and it gets hung up on these stick that's within yeah. five miles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got all this slack in your line between the fish and your reel. So typically when I catch a fish and i have never caught a huge fish in my fly rod so this might be why i haven't had this issue but i'll just kind of you know use my my index finger on my rod mm-hmm. and apply pressure almost like a drag and i'll hand strip that line in mm-hmm. so i never really get them on the reel but if that's something people take pride in maybe i need to start trying that but i think when you, if you get a bigger one on that really ups your chances of, of getting it in and do you actually use the drag on the reel um d- yes yeah but uh, you know most of them i don't have uh, my reels are a little older, and they're still clicking Paul. Which yeah. you know, for for what what I mainly do, bluegill, smallmouth bass, and largemouth bass, you you don't really need the the disc drag. I don't yeah. think. You know, I think a lot of that anymore is ooh disc drag market. But that's you know, if you're gonna if your fish is gonna make long runs, you know, if you're fishing for bigger brown trout or or things that make long runs, then then the disc drag is important. But I still think for for bluegill and smallmouths and streams and largemouths, you can get away with an old. Yeah. Simple single action click and ball drag reel. One of the to spend a fortune on it. One of the things I'm most interested in catching this summer are uh, some carp, hmm. and I think there's a lot of uh, fly fishermen out of Lexington who seem to be really into catching the that, carp. And there's a lot in Northern Kentucky too. A buddy of mine got into that. Yeah, there's a there's what is there a club in Lexington? Uh, is there a fly fishing club in Lexington? Mm-hmm. What's it called? The Lexington Fly Angler. Yeah, that, there's a, there's several of them. There's Bluegrass Jackmasters as well, and, and some there's a, there's several. Well, I was talking to a buddy. Like me, me and a buddy were floating uh, Elkhorn the other day in a canoe, mm-hmm. and we started off smallmouth fishing. He was fly fishing, I was spin fishing, and we were both catching fish. But then we started seeing carp everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just not your common rim. carp. Yeah, common carp, not like your red horse or anything like that, but I mean, good size, fifteen plus pound carp mm-hmm. in the creek. And we were, there's tons of them in there. Yeah, we're seeing a ton of them. So I was thinking, man, how do we catch these fish? Because that'd be a blast. I, my understanding is, it's um, I've not done it. Yeah, but my understanding is, you really kind of almost have to fish them like bonefish, and you lead it and kind of hope they intersect yeah. your your crawfish pattern. Or and I know of people. You that, think those carp would eat a crawfish? Yeah, the, the, just if you can get something on the bottom where they're kind of hoovering, I yeah. think that's. Kind of what what you do. Huh. Uh, now, I saw a video a buddy of mine showed me of, of some people fishing in southern Ohio uh, where, where there was, I believe, mulberry trees were along the bank. And they, they fished a purpley, like, egg pattern looking, huh. big, fat egg pattern looking fly because they would come up and eat those fruits. Yeah. And we're catching big carp on that. Carp or drum, one of the two, because I saw so many of them the other day. I, I did just... the other day at, at, in Salt River. Salt? Uh, where, oh, I saw a ton of salt the other day, too. And, and carp jumping everywhere. Where did you go when you went to the salt the other day? Where you told me to go. Did you go downstream or upstream? We we did both. Okay. So, I'll tell you, the the most carp I've seen this year were probably in the salt, and there was mm-hmm. drum mixed in with them. If you go to that parking lot, was that Palmer Road? Mm-hmm. Go to that parking lot and uh, go downstream, go down to the river and take a right downstream. About 150 yards or some back eddy on your left. Yep. There were so many carp there. We saw those as well. Yeah. I caught a catfish on a roadrunner. Really? I caught a catfish on an inline spinner the other day while I was there. <laughs> Little channel cat. Yeah. So it was, yeah, yeah. He was, he, I was like, wow, this is nice. And I was like, 
Why does that have a shovel in? Oh my God, it's catfish. Yeah, there you go. Did you guys he, catch white bass while you were there? Yeah, we did. But I tell you, once the sun came up, they went down. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I went back to the day before that, mm-hmm. before you all went, and I tried uh, catching because the day before I caught a limit. So I went back the next day, and it was completely different. It was mm-hmm. a lot slower. We caught a few, but uh, I ran. Kevin, a- Kevin caught a bunch until I wouldn't. I was throwing other stuff because he was throwing inline spinner, and I was trying trying. Yeah. The road runner with the the little shad pole, uh-huh. baby shad trailer. Yeah. And then I didn't. They would bam, bam. I, I really think that when they're running like that and hitting, the, the treble hook does give you an advantage. I'm not sure why it's so night and day different though. It's like a flips. A, a switch flips in the middle of the day, or mm-hmm. at some point, those white bass just completely They'll just turn off. But yeah. I tell you what, when we caught those limits there, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and it tasted pretty good too. Finally, I switched to an inline spinner, and I caught a smallmouth and a couple of nice white bass, and then I put the road runner back on, hoping I'd get up, get into a hybrid. Yeah. And I caught the catfish, and then Kevin switched over and started throwing the little small um, feather type jig under a bobber. Yeah. And, and there was an area where there was some shade, and he caught two more, and I threw in there forever, and he did too. And then they just, about 2 o'clock, they just shut off, and we went to the house. And the other day when I was fishing, uh, the day before you all went, so the day that I went, it was kind of slow. I was fishing, and uh, me and my girlfriend were waiting in the in the river, just a little bit downstream of where we just talked about, mm-hmm. about two riffles down from that back eddy I was talking about. And uh, there's a group of people walking towards us from upstream, kind of fishing their way down. And uh, as they get about, you know, hundred feet from us or something like that me and her are still fishing and all of a sudden this bait lands right next to me in the water and start drilling off and i turn around and i look and see this guy who'd casted right next to me and i kind of looked at her like what the heck is this guy thinking like literally just cast five feet from me and i keep fishing about 30 seconds later bait hits right next to me again <laughs> so i turn around and i look at him and he doesn't seem to he just thinks he's fishing i guess so i look at her and i kind of give him give him give her a look Turn around, I whip my bait at that guy's, landed as close to him as I possibly could. <laughs> and he looks up and it's Easton. <laughs> Easton up front. Yeah. He, he, had like, he had like crouched down in the water and kind of had his head down. He was just messing yeah, with Because normally, yeah, you'd be able to tell pretty quick oh, who yeah. that is. Yeah, Easton's about he's, Yeah, seven foot tall nearly. Yeah, yeah. So it was him and Becky Bloomfield and a, I guess Becky's husband and mm-hmm. a couple other people. Out there fishing. Did they do any good? Becky was c- catching a bunch. When uh, I think I saw Becky catch four or five fish, but she's the only one of the whole group I saw catching. I think Easton was too busy trying to mess with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, but it was funny though. As soon as I saw it was Easton, I was a little bit relieved because you know, I was getting ticked off. This dude casting right up in my spot like mm-hmm. that. So I had to give him one bag. Yeah. But you know, and I'm glad Easton realized that I had no idea who he was when I cast it <laughs> back at him too. That way he knows. <laughs> I need to have Easton on, or we need to have Easton on sometime yeah, soon too. Talk about his uh, his programs, mm-hmm. getting people out there and teaching and them. Can we how to get fish. toward hunting season again? We need to have Field the Fork on and talk about that. Yeah, who would be? Would that be Emily right now? Yeah, Brand? I believe in, and um, I think Becky's doing quite a bit with Field the Fork too. Yeah, Becky and Brant. Brant would be a really good one. Yeah, because he's dealt with the Slato Center, he's dealt with Field the Fork, and. I guess he handles Easton's programs as well. He's above Easton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's basically our three program coordinator now. He is. So yeah, he'd be a great person to have on and talk about some of that. Well, we need to do that. So. Talking about bluegill and red ear fishing, I mean, that's right up Easton's alley. That's mm-hmm. probably what he teaches people how to do, really. Yeah, he's a bass guy at heart, I think. Oh, yeah, he's definitely a bass guy. He likes, uh, he likes getting out in the bass boat and trying to catch them. You know, I get those tournament results every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't seem to do too well, but, you know, do you get those results? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People listening might not know, but there's an interdepartment bass tournament 
every Thursday. Mm-hmm. And uh, a bunch well, of Well, not every Thursday. One, I think once a month. Oh, yeah. Is it, oh, yeah. Once a, one Thursday a month. Mm-hmm. And they go to a different lake um, around Kentucky. And it's mostly the fisheries guys, but there are a couple other guys that, that compete in it as well. And, and we all get the results emailed to us. Now, I feel like Easton the, does all right. Everyone's yeah, Easton does all right, but I feel like the reason everybody gets the results emailed to them is because the person doing the emailing is usually the winner. <laughs> you know I, mean? no. I, think, I think Jeff is just anxious to add. More I've been people. in the boat with him, man. He's impressive. He's is he? I, I haven't fished with him before, but I can tell he catches fish. Yeah, Jeff knows how he knows what he's doing. Oh, well, it's Roberts and Roberts, so mm-hmm. I'm guessing he's with his I dad. It's his dad, yes. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool still, though. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to compete in that one Thursday, but I need a boat. I don't know if they'll let me do it. Wouldn't it be great if you could just drive somewhere, get on a boat, like give somebody twenty five dollars and use it for the day and bring it back and oh, wave I would, goodbye? I would. I think I, I'm going to try to convince Chad to do it because that'd be a lot of fun. I'd, I'd team up with Chad and feel pretty good about my chances. No doubt, not my chances, but mm-hmm. his chances. But his chances yeah. Yeah. Especially, and, yeah, for sure. That'd be you're on no land. It'd be Katie by the door. Oh, no land or Dale. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think they go to either one. They they stick to the smaller lakes. Yeah, and and they go to Green River, and and you know from here you don't want a four yeah. hour drive. They go to Cedar, Cedar and yeah Elmer, Taylorsville, yeah Guest Creek stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Guest Creek, I am going to get down on here soon, but yeah, what, what there? You know what, Leah had something a second ago I was wanted to say, but I forgot what it was. Must not have been that important. That's how I always feel about it when that happens. Mm-hmm. It'll you, come back when you don't care. Oh, it'll come back here in a minute. In just a minute, what do you got written down there? Um, well, I was uh, some of my favorite red ear and bluegill lakes. Oh, yeah. Most most of your small central Kentucky lakes, you know, Bolts, uh, Corinth has an excellent population, Beaver, almost all those kinds of lakes are, are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lake Bashir is really good. Kentucky and Barclay, I think, are probably the best. But, you know, you can get into them on the Kentucky River, too. There, there's a ton of shoreline cover and stuff along the river that you, you know that might be your best fishing on the rivers for bluegill and, and i don't think they're readier in the river but for bluegill the kentucky yeah. river is, is is decent and and a good farm pond and one that is a fooler that i used to fish all summer is to throw sponge spiders along those bluff walls yeah. on lake harrington and i have crushed them there you know, get tired of catching them i just listened to the most recent fishing report Maybe the last two fishing reports that came out, and those are on YouTube, mm-hmm. just like Ben Kentucky Field Fishing Report. Mm-hmm. And that's where we go around in our fisheries biologists to actually talk about what's going on in their region that, you know, every up to date that week. And a lot of them have been talking about the bluegill and red ear lately, and they list off specific lakes that they're getting really good reports from mm-hmm. in their areas. So somebody was interested in trying to find a lake, mm-hmm. and they weren't necessarily near any of the ones you just named. They could probably go on our youtube channel and listen to those fishing reports yes. and get a good idea where to go and how to fish them so yes and also the fishing forecast that's produced every year by the fisheries division there's a free copy on our website under the fish tab it just says forecast print that off it's an invaluable resource yeah. based on what our fisheries biologists saw in their population sampling from last year yeah so they extrapolate that information and present to you and they rank them good excellent fair and if you want some good bluegill and red ear lakes, just you can consult that as well, and then check off some that are within a, a decent drive from your house, and you know you can come up with a half dozen pretty quickly. You know, uh, getting back, I just thought of this, and this isn't what I wanted to say a minute ago, but it's something else I did want to say at one point. It's so those chemicals you ate the other day, it probably is, man. <laughs> I, I need to call my buddy that farms that land and ask him what he uh, what he sprayed. You know, I probably need to know that and then I need to look up some some side effects or some facts online about what happens if you ingest it because yeah, it was not a good idea. Yeah. I probably should have uh, 
check to see if he's because you know i think early spring or in the winter you know one of those farm ponds when the ground's not been touched or anything like that for a long time that it's it's fine Mm -hmm. but i think the the fact that they just sprayed it and then we got a good heavy rain probably did something to us so i'll have to check on that and do a little bit of research but well, if you start if you start leaking a hole out of your guts, I'd, I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd head to the emergency room. Well, yeah, I think I'm just going to go on this vacation and enjoy myself. <laughs> Again, if an arm start going out of your ear, then you know you might want to go to the, I, the I, doctor. I'll tell you what, just uh, I'm so excited about getting to go on this vacation for a few days. Not, I mean, I love fishing around here, obviously, okay. but it, it's something different. It's always kind of nice, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons why I like doing so many different types of fishing around here because I could go wear myself out bass fishing or doing this type of fishing or doing this type of fishing. But I think that's why I enjoy going bluegill fishing or redder fishing mm-hmm. over here. Then maybe going catfishing another time, going mm-hmm. bass fishing or, or going fly fishing, stream fishing. If you switch it up a lot, I mean, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. You never get tired of doing it. No doubt. But that's kind of what I'm doing this week by going to Florida, same as you, mm-hmm. and doing a little different kind of fishing down there. So I, I've, It's either hit or miss for me in Florida, especially from the beach. It's really hit or miss. I've had really good luck out of a kayak. I've. You know, I've had some good days, but uh, I haven't done as much surf fishing, so there's a good chance I'm going to be hitting you up for tips. Cool. Yeah, for we sure. We won't be far apart, so. No, not at all. But like I was saying, I'm so excited for this trip. Uh, last night, I was driving home from doing some bass fishing, and my dash in my car lit up like a Christmas tree. And, I mean, every light in the on the on the dash came on. And then this oh, morning. Oh, what happened? Well, I, I was like, well, it's probably an electrical issue. If every dash light comes on, well, EBS... ESB, uh, traction control, check four-wheel drive, you know, everything lit up at once. And uh, his car was driving fine, running just fine. So it's like, well, it's a little weird. I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then this morning I get up and I start to come to work. And as soon as I hit 10 miles an hour in my driveway, I just get a grinding noise on the front end and it's jerking. And I thought, oh gosh, but I'm not even going to deal with it until I get back from vacation, man. I'll, uh, I'll go enjoy my life for a few days before I have to come back and start ripping my car apart if it, i mean i still kind of think it's an electronic issue but mm-hmm. i'll find out this isn't the time i guess this podcast isn't really made to diagnose car issues <laughs> is it but, uh, <laughs> no the point is i'm going to go enjoy some stress-free fishing no doubt for a few days so i don't have to deal with this stressful everyday life i need stuff. tires so when i get yeah. back i'm after i'll be buying some tires this year during the summer I milk them until they're you know banana peels I think everybody does (laughs) when you drive a truck you're like God, it used to be $400 now double that oh yeah if you're lucky if you're I know it's like so (laughs) you'll drive them until they they are a baloney skin as my brother would say (laughs) (laughs) that's funny oh well what else we got Lee let's 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 uh, let's let's go a little bit longer we haven't covered everything we need to well there's um, you know I'm hearing largemouth are on the nest most around the state I went and tried it last night my favorite farm pond and i got so many bites but they were they were small bites yeah they, they often pick it up and move it out of the nest i don't even think it was that i think it was bluegill on the nest mm-hmm. that were messing with my bait i think i was getting into some because i was casting shallow i've seen them shallow on some of the lakes uh that males up shallow and yeah <clears throat> i'm gonna go try again um they can't drive anywhere tonight i'm gonna go try again sometime soon mm-hmm. but i was really thinking that if i got those bass on the nest like you were just talking about i could run i was running just a uh seven inch 
Rubentail worm mm -hmm. up in their nest, and I was thinking I'll get some bites. But I think I had bluegill messing with me last night. Some other techniques I like. I really think a lizard is probably my best mm -hmm. nest buster. Yeah, it is. Just in my opinion, I like running the lizards. And you know, uh, I've gotten away from throwing lizards. I used to be Mister Lizard. I need to get back. Man, into I didn't throw lizards for a long time, and then I got into them, and I had so much luck and success. I just mm -hmm. tore them up. I ran out of lizards, and I haven't gone to the store and gotten more. Mm -hmm. So this year, I haven't thrown them yet. But that, that's probably my number one nest buster. I've also wanted to uh, try running a, a buzz bait at night right down the bank and just seeing if that got me anything. <clears throat> I haven't had a whole lot of luck topwater. I've killed string smallmouths on four-inch Cabin Creek lizards. Oh, really? I oh, yeah. destroyed them. Yeah. I used uh, some four-inch lizards. They weren't Cabin Creek, but the smallmouth love them. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it is about a lizard. but And the old slider lizard, I've destroyed smallmouth and largemouth on. When you say slider lizard, are you talking about like the a... slider lure company? They were like almost a salamander. They did the the front legs were like normal legs, mm -hmm. and then the back ones were like normal legs, but the tail turned. They were a little bit more subtle than most of huh. lizards, and that's all I destroy fish on. I'm gonna have to go pick some of those up because they, and they have a really fall a slow fall, and so, that helps I think. So bass are on the nest, and that's probably largemouth you're talking about. Yes, smallmouth have probably moved off by I, now. I, I think the ones in the lake have streams. I, I was looking uh, right before we came on air and uh the water temperature in elkhorn is 68 during yeah. the day so that's right at the bottom right there where the, they they probably are going to be showing nesting activity when we went fishing the other day i floated elkhorn in a canoe like mm -hmm. i said with my buddy the other day and uh, we were catching a lot of small smallmouth shallow mm -hmm. uh, we were catching them right up on the bank and uh kind of out of the main current so mm. it kind of made me think they might be moving yeah, towards the nest. Yeah, they're, that's spawning. Yeah, every one of them was a red was a red eyed male too. I mean, we didn't catch many females either, mm. though. So the females well, could be fattening up. I don't know what's going on. But. Well, then they're they're preparing the females to come in, and they'll, yeah, yeah. it'll probably be that makes for some transitional fishing. Can be kind of tough at times. We, uh, we did spawn. pretty well, but you can also do pretty well. I said my buddy was fly Not fishing. All fish spawn at the same time. Uh, my buddy was fly fishing, and he was catching you know quite a few bass and i was like man bob i think we're having pretty good luck today he said man i've been catching i've caught so many bass so today so far i don't know what the number was four or five or something he's like this is definitely a good day mm -hmm. if i usually catch one or two smallmouth i'm doing pretty good so i like those 50 fish days a little oh, bit better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah we were only out there for about an hour and we were out there and what what day was that it thunderstormed as we were coming off the water that day, we got into a little bit of rain. And we were both canoe, and it's really hard for him to fly fish with another person in the canoe with yeah, him. Is. He likes to be in a canoe by himself so he can stand up and, mm -hmm. and cast like that. So typically, I'll take my kayak, and he'll take a canoe, and that way we can both fish comfortably. But he hit me up while I was at work one day and said, hey, you want to go fishing today? I didn't have time to go get my kayak, so we made do. You go fishing when you can. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I also, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll go fishing pretty much any day of the week. Mm-hmm. If uh, there's always something you can fish for, bass yeah. on the nest. What else? I know you got some good tips right now. Well, um, stuff I, I, I really think um, that, that you know it's been such an unusual spring that um, <clears throat> the string smallmouths have been hit or miss real bad. Uh -huh. Now they're calming down. Some are going to be on the nest, but I think really now on we're finally going to have good water. I fish. hope so. Because I, lo I looked on the stream flow chart before we came in. Yeah, and uh, most. Outside of the area that got hit really hard on Derby Day, they're still a little high. Almost all of them are back in, in seasonal pool level and should be just 
Prime. You know, I checked Elkhorn this morning, just like you did. It was 979 this morning. Yeah, it was, it was a little over 1,000 when I checked it, so I'm guessing I checked it a little earlier. Yeah, I just checked it. I saw where it was hit, hitting 5,000. Yeah, it's Derby Doe Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, we had 2.3 inches of rain in, yeah. in Louisville. Yeah, I mean, that's still, though, 5,000 on the Elkhorn. I mean, that usually... It's blown out. But if it's a 9-something right now, that means it'll be back down to fishable probably tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. Because you're looking at 700 and below. Yeah. I, I like, for me personally, I like it 500 and below. Yeah. But I have caught it. And all that's depending on the, the situation because I've caught them at 650 one time. Yeah. However, it been really low and clear for a long time. That was just kind of a fresh hit. Yeah. It wasn't really that high and blown out. It was just the water got up and it got them moving. People might not know how to check the flows. But, you, know, you know, honestly... So I use USGS. Mm -hmm. So I, if you just get on Google and you type in USGS and then you type whatever stream or creek you're going to, it'll pull it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how I typically check USGS Elkhorn Creek and then bam, I click it and it just so happens to put me in Frankfurt right where mm -hmm. I need to be. I think that gauge is at Knight's Bridge. It is. If I'm not mistaken. It's over there. You can actually see it. Mm -hmm. But uh, And then some, so if somebody's thinking about going kayak fishing somewhere, we touched on this a little bit last week, but you can get on USGS to see your Water flows. Water data usgs.gov yeah, and you can just google search it and it'll find yeah. it and uh if they don't know where they're what they're looking for because obviously you're looking for something much different from elkhorn to floyd's fork mm -hmm. so i mean 500 it's, might be sitting pretty on elkhorn but mm -hmm. at floyd's fork you'd be lucky to get on the water and and i i did a wrote a column on this a couple of years ago and that might be something that that uh to regurgitate here um a lot of people don't the, the way to look is you know, go to that, and then you hit the Kentucky map, and then you hit the statewide stream table, and it's divided by drainage. So it's Kentucky River drainage, Cumberland River drainage, Green River drainage, so Salt River drainage. Um, and there are little diamonds on um, no, little triangles yeah. that show you the average flow for that day for over so many years. Say, like, based on 56 years of record, the average flow... For May 10th is 517 CFS. Yeah. CFS is cubic feet per second. Yeah. That's how much of the river goes by that gauge per second. That's how many cubic feet of water move by. It. Yeah. So that gives you an idea. So if, if it's well above the triangle, then you know that it's probably high and muddy. But if it's at the triangle a little below, it's likely low and clear. Yeah, which is what you want. Which is what you want. Yeah. So that way, if, 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 you know, if it's normally, say, 450, and you look on there and it's 1100, you can write that off. That way you don't drive two hours and, and waste your time because yeah. you're going to have chocolate milk water when you get there, more than likely. Yeah, just look. And, you know, it might say a median or a mean or mm -hmm. something like that. But, yeah, that triangle on the graph is definitely It's, it's the one to go by, yeah, I think. So, so USGS will give you pretty much everything you need if you know where you're going. And if, if it's rising sharply on the graph, there's also it graphs out the CFS. So, you know, if it's, like, going slowly – uh, down and the angle is, is, is fairly shallow, it's dropping slowly. But if the angle is steep, it's dropping quickly. Vice versa, the same way. It's either rising quickly or rising slowly. Yeah. So I'll give you an idea. If it's just over the peak and rising, falling slowly, then, then you, you have fishable conditions. Yeah. But if it's like a giant straight up hill, then you know it's blown out. Yeah, which is what we had <clears> last <throat> week. If you yes. look at it, it looks like, I mean, all that water just hit the corn all at once because you hardly ever see it go from 500 or 600, wherever it's sitting to 5,000. Unless over, you've got a bunch of rain. It was over the several course. Several inches of rain. I mean, it went from one to the other over a course of maybe... A day, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was like eight hours real time or 10 yeah. hours or something like that real time. I think midnight on that Sunday is when it peaked out. At 5,000, wasn't it? Yeah, which is maybe the fourth highest I've seen it in the last two years. Mm -hmm. I, I saw it at 12,000 one time. Mm -hmm. I know I saw it at 10,000 another time. That means 
junk water blown out, stay off its dams. Yeah. Like the flow of the Kentucky River in the middle of the summer, I've seen that at what, what have I seen that before? I think I've seen the Elkhorn at its highest pushing more water than I've seen the Kentucky River pushing yep. at its lowest, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If you've got more water pushing through the Elkhorn than you typically do the Kentucky River in the summer. Then it's you like, know you had a squall line come right over the... Yeah. The, and what, the, the flow of Elkhorn depends on how much the eastern side of Lexington got, so yeah. going toward Richmond. Well, and up north to Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, because the south fork of Elkhorn obviously drains from Lexington. Mm-hmm. Through uh, Woodford, like yeah, Midway yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and then uh, North Fork comes in from Georgetown. So basically, that whole area north and around Lexington coming in. It depends into, on how much. I mean, Frankfort could get pounded with two inches of rain, and yeah. the creek doesn't go up a bit. Yep. But if it tracks north of Lexington, the creek may not go up a bit, and you think, oh, it's blown out. But yeah. So that's why it's always important to check before you leave. Yep. You know, I saw something the other day. <laughs> Where was it? Was it in Marion County the kayaker went over the dam? Yes. Did they find him yet? Yes, they found him today. Did they? Mm-hmm. See, I hadn't seen the update on that. That's—I mean, people need to be safe. I, I was out there kayaking that same day, and the one the water level was rising. We were canoeing in Shelby County. We went uh, Brashears Creek, mm-hmm. and we ended at Pickett's Dam. Mm-hmm. So that kind of made me think, you know, because that's—I think that happened at a dam as Lowhead well. Lowhead dams are, and I've written about this before, and it made me think I need to probably write another reminder yeah. type column. They're euphemistically referred to as drowning machines because they are, and I think. When you're in that current, if memory serves correctly, that you have like 800 pounds of pressure yeah. per square placed on you when you're in that tumble. Yeah, it doesn't and, look that intimidating either. No, and they look benign. But when you get on it, it pushes your body down and you tumble. Yeah. And if you'll notice sometimes uh, during after it's been up, you might see a basketball that was in somebody's yard or a kickball or something that's just sitting there spinning. Yeah. Well, that's known as a hydraulic in our terms. Mm-hmm. That means a keeper. And so if that's you. If you see that ball spinning, if you fall over that, that's your body. Yeah. And sometimes if you get lucky, you'll have a kick out and it'll kick you free. Mm-hmm. But most of the time it's going to grab you and spin you over and drown you. Yeah. It's, uh, and uh, people underestimate those things because the, you they know, are dangerous no matter what, unless there's no water going over at all. I still don't recommend you get near them. But if there's any water going over them at all, they are dangerous. Are you familiar with Pickett's Dam at all? I've been up by that, yes. So it's the same type of dam. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look intimidating at all. It looks like you could probably walk along the base of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's claimed eight people since the 1980s mm-hmm. or something like that. Or well, just, I remember there was a, some that there was a death at Great Crossing Dam that prompted me to write that here several years oh, really? ago. They were walking across it at low water, but mm-hmm. he slipped and fell and got yeah. caught in that keeper. Oh, man. My buddy Bobby that I went canoeing with. You could be the strongest person in the world. You're not getting out of that. Yeah, there's there's some techniques, but you got to be really trained mm-hmm. to understand them. I'm not sure how they did it, but when Bobby was a whitewater rafting guide, uh, this is the Bobby I went canoeing with the other day. Mm-hmm. And someday we're going to have Bobby on the podcast. I tried to get it lined up for this week, but didn't quite work out. But he was a whitewater rafting guide on the new in mm-hmm. West Virginia. I've been on the new. No, I've, I've done the gully, or the gully section. The marathon's actually what I did. So I guess I did the upper and lower. It's 26 miles one day, but... uh they would, as part of their training, or I don't know if they were just being whitewater guides, you know, having fun or being idiots, one of the two, mm-hmm. but they would get themselves in those keepers on purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the technique is to actually ball up. Ball up, yeah. Yeah, ball up, and it'll spit you out easier. I'm sure they had some kind of a safety line or something like that, but he he described it, you know, you know, jumping in there and, and balling up, and you didn't know how long it was going to keep you. It could mm-hmm. keep you for five seconds or 45 seconds, mm-hmm. or you just had to 
but I'm sure they had a way to get out. But it sounded terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> it sounded, they can have all that yeah. of, of my share of that in the world, yeah. man. You can have all that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I like being. In, <laughs> I like I like being in control, yeah. uh, and I especially like being yeah, in especially control. when I'm underwater. Like, yeah, I like being in control. There's nothing. There's, <laughs> I don't think there's anything worse than you being can't in. breathe very well underwater. I've noticed. Yeah, it's kind of wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it difficult, but yeah, important. Important. I was getting at in that whole thing is that USGS can help you understand how safe the creek is as well. Cause, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't want to get on Elkhorn. I've been on Elkhorn at 1500, and I think that's the highest I've kayaked it. Mm-hmm. And that was a whitewater trip from Jim Beam to mm-hmm. Church's Grove. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the whitewater section. It is. And that was, that was a lot of fun. And we were, of course, prepared, you know, life jackets. I had Bobby with me, who's my guide, and, uh, and all this stuff. So it was a good deal. But uh, USGS can be useful for more things than just fishing, even if you're just looking to go paddle. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's and, essential. Yeah. A lot of those people like to catch the water just a little bit up, but there's a difference. Yeah. In and, and those people who are really into to play boats and yeah. the short, really maneuverable with spray skirts and all and like and have bulletproof Eskimo <laughs> rolls, yeah, I, I see they, those, they love hitting that when it's blown out. They, I see the people surfing Elkhorn all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll get up there in that riffle right around Church's Grove mm-hmm. and that basically the kayak put in. And there's a couple of surf waves in there. I've uh, I've been in a playboat before, and it was the most uncomfortable kayaking experience of my life. See, that was my first kayak I was in. I was down on them for a long time because you know I didn't understand. That I flipped so much easier. There's in that touring thing. boats. There's fishing oh, yeah. boats. There's there's whitewater playboats. There's a you know there's a there's a wide variety of uh, of boats. Yeah. Um, and I've written several of them about it, um, but mainly for fishing, you want a stable twelve foot wide. Yeah. That's stable what, boat. That's what most of the... But they're not nearly as maneuverable as the playboat. Oh, the playboat. For me, I'm 6'6 six, six with a size 16 shoe, and the playboat just crammed me up. I felt like a jack-in-the-box in there. Well, and I tried to fish out of one. I was like, God, this thing is so squirrely. No, it's well, horrible. it's designed to be squirrely. Those are designed to be in fast water and, and, and uh, tons of maneuverability and tons of uh, uh, ability to, to change direction and uh, yeah. uh, surf and, and all that. You can't do that in a fishing kayak. No. So it took me a long time. I had a pontoon, personal pontoon boat for a long time because I fished out of a playboat the first time. I was like, God, this is terrible. Yeah. But I was in the wrong boat. Yeah, just a, that's part of it. We talked about that on a previous ki- our previous podcast, how important it is to get a kayak that's good for what you're doing. For what you're doing, exactly. Yeah. Like I said, I've got a, a two kayaks I use. One of them's the Hobie, which is obviously my big fishing boat. And then I got a, a 10 and a half foot you know, a little wreck boat, just your typical kayak you think of, and mm-hmm. just a cheap little perception or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's fun. And mm-hmm. I take it out about 50-50 because you don't always want to be in the big boat. Sometimes you want to be in a smaller one and have mm-hmm. a little fun. And uh, you definitely don't always want to be in the smaller one if you're trying to do some real fishing. Uh, one of my best friends, James, his wife got him uh, um, one of the loons by Old Town, which uh-huh. is a sit-in, but it has a newly designed seat. Uh-huh. And- for a sit-in, it's just awesome. It's got yeah. a little deck to put all your fishing gear on, and uh, it's ten and a half feet, very maneuverable, but stable as well. It's it's a great little boat. See, I, I like to do the nighttime big reservoir stuff, and mm-hmm. it's hard to feel comfortable doing that in something smaller than no doubt. Yeah, you want to- even a twelve foot boat. I don't know. I mean, I feel really good sitting way up off the water in the Hobie, but mm-hmm. I'm sure if I tried it in a twelve foot boat, I'd be perfectly comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But just you know, that's where my mind's at. Well, the right line now. of demarcation from what uh, Nathan Deppenbrock, who owns Canoe Kentucky, uh-huh. told me before is. Uh, if you want to do both, your best overall length for Kentucky, if you want to fish yeah. out of, in a stream, but 12. you also want it as 12 foot. But if you're strictly flat water, a 14 foot boat is probably your yeah. best bet. That's what that's what mine mm-hmm. is. They're fine. You know, a lot of people don't realize 
longer kayaks are faster kayaks yeah. than shorter kayaks. It seems counterintuitive, but they are. Yeah, and that pedal system helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so a 14 yeah. with a pedal system is like, well, now they've got that Titan boat that Native makes that is a pedal drive. It's almost like a little bass boat. You know, does Native have a different pedal system now? Because the last time I used it, they had a little propeller system. Well, they always have. Yeah, and I was used to the V drive mm-hmm. uh, from from Hobie. Hobie, yeah, yeah. But Natives always had the the propeller. And uh, Jacksons have a small propeller system as well, right? Yes. Uh, I just uh, I love the reverse feature on the mm-hmm. on the Native because you, all you got to do is backpedal and you're mm-hmm. going backwards. And if you're a cameraman in a kayak, that's that, right. It's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my Hobie, of course, only has forward on it, so I go in a huge circle. Anytime I need to turn that bad boy around, it doesn't cut that tight. It's a barge out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the reverse feature on those things is awesome. Yeah, on the, is. I haven't been in the new Jackson yet either, but I know it has a reverse. Mm-hmm. The Kusa SF, or, yeah. is that what it is? Yes. And I think they've got a couple of paddle drives that are coming out. Or paddle drives, rather. Yeah. I'm still paddle. I don't have a pedal. Yeah. Well, I mean, it works for most places. I mean, a lot of places, you can't use a pedal drive. Yeah. Then the creek, it's kind of like, all you do is pull it up and put it back down, pull yeah. it up, put it back down. Yeah. That's why I think the new Jackson actually has a self, like when you hit a shallow section, the pedal drive kind of pushes itself up and then deploys back down when you get into water. But I'm sure that's something if you ran up on enough rocks, you might wear it yeah, out. I was going to say, they may have a shelf life. I've had to replace several parts on the pedal drive system on my kayak just from beaching it or hitting rocks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to visual to, to describe this in a visual way, but mine is basically just two big fins that mm-hmm. come out below the kayak. Yeah. And if you push the pedals all the way forward... They they come up almost flush with the bottom of the boat. Well, of course, they're still a little bit exposed, so when you run up on some rocks, it's putting a lot of torque on those things. Mm-hmm. And I've had to replace uh, probably three or four parts. But that's on me. I, I kind of abuse my stuff. Well, I, I use mine, too. I, start, you, I maintain it, but I use it hard. I want to start writing reviews and... Um, because, I mean, I'll put stuff. If something's going to break, I should know if it's going to break because mm-hmm. I'm really good at breaking stuff. <laughs> really good. We'll see how this weekend goes. I might end up uh, breaking something else down there. But what do you, what else we got, Lee? I know we got a. We've we've been going for quite a while here. Yeah, we've been going fifty. Yeah, yep. Uh, somewhere around there. So mainly, I had bluegill. Right now is best bluegill time. Large yeah. mouse are on the nest. Crappie are probably done. Um, but um, Tim Sloan, I talked to him yesterday, and he caught forty here a couple of days ago. But deeper on Taylorsville. Taylorsville. Yeah, I knew he'd been fishing Taylorsville. So uh, if you're crappie fishing, they're probably back out on that first drop from where they spawned. Yeah. That's where they'll be for a while. So you can pick them off there, but it's hit or miss fishing. Yeah. And largemouth bass, probably a couple of weeks, they're probably going to be on the bed. And uh, stream smallmouth are likely on the bed as well. So it's at yeah. May time of year. Your number one bet right now would be bluegill and red ear. It sounds like a lot of fish are potentially biting. So mm-hmm. I'll just recap real quick. Yeah, I'll try to recap all this. We actually talked about quite a bit today. Mm-hmm. Uh, bluegill and red ear are on the nest and should be biting really well. Really well. Uh, crappie, hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Some good reports coming in. Maybe yeah. try them a little bit deeper. Uh, smallmouth in the streams are probably getting ready to go on the nest. Yeah. Smallmouth on the lakes might already be there. Uh, or, yeah, be there. Yeah. They're either there or maybe they just moved off. Mm-hmm. We thought they might have moved off on Cumberland the other day. Largemouth should be going on to the nest soon. And they're showing nesting behavior in small lakes right now. Yeah, um, I'm interested, like I said earlier, in the carp and the drum. So I need to try to figure out a good technique for that. You're saying kind of bonefish style mm-hmm. fish for them where you put your bait right out in front kinda of right them. Right out in front of their feeding line and, and yeah. they don't see it. I hope, I hope they hit it. I've seen people use Wonder Bread for them before. I did growing up. I might try that. I, I've only ever unintentionally caught carp. 
you know, I've caught a lot of them with a treble hook in the tail or something mm-hmm. like that, but and they fight like crazy when mm-hmm. you do that. They do. They well, they pull when you hook them normal. They they That's fight. I want to catch carp, Fight hard. I've never caught a fish that big in Kentucky. I never have caught a fish that could be thirty five pounds. Uh, well, I've caught some big catfish, but mm-hmm. so but there's a lot of good fishing opportunity coming up. Is is kind of the point of all that, especially bluegill and red ear right now. Largemouth bass, bass just around the corner. Uh, USGS will give you pretty much everything you need to know mm-hmm. in addition to the Blue Water Trails because mm-hmm. that gives you a lot of really good info. The canoe kayaking page on our website. If you want to get out there and, and try and, some streams. And one other thing, if you're fishing like Green River below the dam, Barron below the dam, go to your daily leg report at the Louisville District of the Corps of Engineers and it gives you the outflow yeah. predicted for that day from the dam. So if it's way high, um, you know, yeah. each you kind of have to learn, but if it's in the thousands, you know they're junk. Hey, if you're fishing below a major reservoir, I don't think USGS is going to be your best bet. No, US, the, Daily Lake reports where yeah, you go. USGS is really for your streams mm-hmm. like Floyd's Fork or the Salt River or above Taylorsville Lake or, yes. or Elkhorn or something like that. But if you're fishing below a major reservoir, you'll probably want to look at the outflow schedule for that reservoir. Yes. So, like, if you're fishing below Lake Cumberland on the Cumberland River. Then you'll want to go to the Cumberland, Lake Cumberland Bay. Yeah, because things can change in a heartbeat there. Mm-hmm. They open up two gates and all of a sudden. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, they open up six gates, it's like yeah. triple whoa. So the uh, mm-hmm. the flow on the on the bodies of water below the big reservoirs like Cumberland or I'm assuming Dale, mm-hmm. Kentucky, Barkley is really dependent on the release schedule. It is. So that's where you'd want to go. And you know, that almost could be a, a little bit different opportunity because like we talked about before, a lot of times they're holding water back. Mm-hmm. So even if you get a bunch of rain in an area, you can still have flowable water yes. below the below the lake. Yes. Like uh, the other day, a lot of the creeks were way up, but the Cumberland River was perfect mm-hmm. because they were holding back that water. Mm-hmm. So there's good water somewhere. Did you see those trout chad in them caught the other day? No. My gosh. Caught like 50-something uh, browns and rainbows. On, the, on Cumberland River? Yeah, with Lance Sasser. And I mean, oh, that's right. I saw his, I saw the striper piece, but oh well, they went back a couple of days later, and I'm talking like nine pound browns. Wow! I got where a, were they? Fishing right up against the dam. Okay. Yeah. Was it blown really high? No, I think it. Was, I don't think was they, that one of the days they weren't pulling. Yeah, I think so. I think they didn't have any of the gates open, just the generators. Okay. Below. See if I can find that picture because I do want to show you. Give me one second. Well, I mean, we've been trying to get on the tailwater for. For a photo shoot, but it's now we, we're going to do it again. But uh, it 270, which is six turbines, it's 270 247 a lot lately. That's uh, wow, what a beauty that is. I can see the dam in the background. Wow, yeah. so that's a, it's up though. Is it up? Yeah, that is. I mean, for that drift, it, Randall Gibson liked it like that as well. Yeah. For the drift bit, uh, fishing out of a large boat, yeah. Um, if there's four turbines going, that's perfect. But for waiting or in a small boat, mm-hmm. that that's look how big it is. I mean, that is huge. That's a big fish. Yes. But, uh, yeah, they, they, they came back and they said they caught 50, or at least 50. And, uh, I mean, Sangster, who filmed the piece, he he even, I mean, he quit filming at one point. He started fishing. He was catching trout, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, you hear them say, oh, 50 fish. And, of course, I believe these guys. But typically, you're like, oh, you caught 50 huge trout, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Sure he did. And uh, But some guy put that, that photo right there on our Facebook page or Instagram page, one of those social media pages. And somebody commented. Text that to me. I will. Somebody commented and said, I was the other boat out there with you guys that day. Apparently, they were out there fishing, too. Mm -hmm. He said, every time I looked over, it looked like you guys had rods bent. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, 
That's the way Randall Gibson used to do it. That where they drift in live bait. Yeah. Well, no, I think it was dead bait. I know. The, apparently, the way Lance does it is he goes up to the uh, lake and he finds those big balls of shad. Mm-hmm. He takes his cast net. He says, if he does it right in one cast, he can fill up a big cooler with yeah, no ice. That's. Mm-hmm. And then he takes uh, that cooler back to his house and he separates them by size into gallon bags and he freezes them. So he'll go out and get all the bait he needs for uh, however much amount of time he he's going to you know take to use 20 gallons worth of bait. Mm-hmm. He'll go out there and get it all at once real quick. Wow. I thought that's a pretty good idea. Now, Randall would use live the yeah. same way. I'd say live bait's probably the best. Go up there and catch skipjack mm-hmm. right in front of the generators. But uh, apparently... Well, Randall land- would go in the lake and get them and bring them down to fish really? the river. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out how to do that, but... I mean, around Shelby County and Frank, Frankfurt, we don't have the opportunities to go on a Cumberland or a Dale without driving a couple hours, so I haven't done that quite as much, but I'll tell you what, if I lived anywhere near one of those big lakes, I'd be doing it all the time, because mm-hmm. it's hard to beat striper, you know, mm-hmm. or big trout, but... No doubt. He, uh... That's why we do it to a friend of mine. He's got a, a private slip on Cumberland and yeah. has a light underneath, and we'll get up at five and turn the light on, throw... If it's good, we two throws and we got all the bait we need for a week. Yeah, that's awesome. The uh, so Lance Sasser and Chad were the ones fishing, and I guess they had another rod out in a rod holder. You know, they were drifting three rods or whatever, and they said several times, uh, you know, Chad and Lance would both be fighting a fish, and he'd say Lance would look over and say, Rodney's got one, and you know that's what he calls his rod holders, Rodney. He'd be like, Rodney got him a fish too, Chad. I thought that was kind of cool. So they they would reel that in after you get the other ones in? I guess so. Get the first two in and then get the one on the third. So I'm looking forward to seeing that piece. I haven't even seen any of the footage yet. That's just a beautiful area, catching really nice fish. So Mm -hmm. should be a good piece when it gets done. But I noticed that the the, uh, water was frothy and high there. Was it? Was it? Yeah. You know more about it than I do. But, I mean, that's great if you're in a bigger deck-type boat. Yeah. That's what Randall fished out of. And you know the river, that's fine. But that's nowhere to be in a... 16-foot aluminum boat or canoe or kayak. That's just nowhere to be on that river. Yeah, if the river was it's dangerous. I, I do want to do that in a kayak. I do want to drift below the dam in the kayak, but I wouldn't do it on that water. Obviously, you probably couldn't do it on that water because you'd just be either somehow full bore ahead. Fall in the, when in Early fall when people aren't really running heaters yet or they're not running their air conditioner in October, that's a great time because they don't generate as much. That's yeah. a great time to kayak. That's a good point. Down, in, down on... Cumberland River. I haven't turned my AC on. I've been on there in six turbines in a boat that wasn't real big. And the the person I was with knew the tailwater like the back of their hand, and it was still scary. Mm -hmm. So um, you need to respect that river because if you fall in, you got to get out quick because that water is cold and you'll be in hypothermia. 53 degrees. 53 about, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a little bit chilly. I was worried going in on the Elkhorn the other day, but I tell you what, I was amazed at how comfortable the water was. I waited, saw the river the other day, wet-legged it, and it felt great. It was hot, and I got in there, I was like, ah. I went down there. I'd been wearing waders, and then I went with just shorts on one day, and I was like, I don't know. This might be a little chilly, mm-hmm. but I mean, I got in, and it was it was perfect. Mm-hmm. What was that noise? Did you hear that? I heard something. Oh, well, let's wrap it up, Lee. We've been going, and I, since we're going on vacation, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. I need to get this podcast out today, so I got to go ahead and do a few things over the next few hours so people can listen to it before we leave. Cool. And, uh, yeah, it should be good. Thanks for stopping by. And, we'll see you uh, in two weeks. Yes, we will. I'll be seeing you sooner, though, right? Yeah, I'll be uh, driving your ride down to Florida, so yeah, yeah, I'll be seeing you Sunday I mean, morning. <laughs> yeah, just to close this out, I want to complain about the $179 shipping fee to get a fishing rod to, to, to Florida from here. $179 to get a rod down there. I can buy a plane ticket for, for much less than that. No, no, that's ridiculous. But luckily, uh, 
a good guy Lee here is driving down, and he's willing to uh, to take my ride with him. So, thank you, Lee. Even my wife agreed. So, really, that'll probably cost me a dinner at a really expensive restaurant. Hey, I told you, I'd you're get in the you. hole to me, brother. <laughs> I told you I'd get you back. All right, I'm, I'm gonna hit it up here. Thanks, Lee. Okay, man.